Hey, good morning. I think I, I, I mentioned this before. Uh, don't applaud before. You just never know what's going to happen. It could be really bad. So, hey, uh, can we turn these lights a little bit lower for me so that I'm not blinded up here? This way I can see your faces. And uh, is it bright enough out there? For, thank you very much. Uh, is it bright enough for you to see your Bibles? Good. Okay, good. Uh, anyway, it's great to be back with you. It's been a few weeks. Uh, I, f- I finished my real job for the year since we were together last. Because I-, I teach at Moody Bible Institute. Have you heard of that? Right, I hope so. Anyway, I teach at Moody and I got my grades in and it's like a weight off my shoulder. And I'm, now summer has begun, so happy. Uh, that's why teachers teach, I've always heard. You know, June, July, and August, the three top reasons. Uh, but uh, no, I actually love the teaching part of it. It's the grading I hate, and so that's done, and I'm glad. Uh, anyway, it's good to be back with you after a few weeks, and uh, just a few more times. That's, that's it. And I've been grateful for the chance. I want to say hello to everyone out all the different Harvest campuses. I'm so glad that we can be together via technology. I can see all of you out there. I'm just looking at the camera. I can see through it. And so I'm glad to see all of you. Uh, anyway, it's good to be back. Uh, a few weeks ago, it was, uh, even I had our 45th anniversary. Isn't that amazing? Now, this is something to applaud about. This is the miracle of it. Eva's only 39. So, uh, I don't know how we did that, but it's... Now, what I've discovered through the years is that it's really tough for me to figure out what gift to give. Do you guys, anybody have trouble giving gifts? Yeah, it's like, what in the world do I give? And so, it really shouldn't be that hard for me because anything I ever give Eva, she loves. It's just what I wanted, Well, I just didn't know what to get you, so I got you this major commentary on Ephesians based on the Greek text. I love it. It's just what I wanted. You know, I've been really wondering what to give you, so I bought this brand new lawnmower. Oh, I thought you really needed that. It's just what I wanted. So Eva's really easy to buy gifts for because she likes anything I give her. Uh, But I know we all struggle with... uh, figuring out what gives gifts to give. But I have good news today, and that is that we have all already received a gift, at least one, that's perfect for us, for each one of us. Uh, we may not know what to give, but God knows what to give us. And we have all received at least one gift that's perfect. We may not even know what it is yet, but we have a perfect gift from the Lord. How do we know they're perfect? Because the giver of the gifts is perfect. And he knows our hearts and our needs and what is best for us. And so, obviously, I'm speaking right now about spiritual gifts. Today, we're gonna talk about unwrapping spiritual gifts uh, from the Lord who knows us so well. Uh, This continues from about Ephesians 4, 7 through the end, uh, through about verse 16, but uh, we're going to look at 4, 7 through 10 today, 
it begins the process of unwrapping the gifts. And what I'd like to do is just read this brief passage to you, and this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna stand up to honor God's word, get out our Bibles. Please follow along as I read Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Messiah's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. You have to see. This passage deals with uh, the dispensing of the gifts. Uh, next week, more uh, 11 through 16 deals with the distribution of those gifts, but this is how the Messiah gave us the gifts. Uh, I wanna start by saying that we need balance when discussing spiritual gifts, because there's two extremes, and I'm sure you recognize them. I call them the misusers and the refusers. Those are the two extremes that we see. The misusers and the refusers. What do the misusers do? They seek all the gifts. They are just, just absolutely committed. I want all the gifts, even some that are not in the Bible. I want all of them. And then they emphasize particularly sensational gifts. They, there's a great emphasis on things that, that are just explosive and wild and miraculous and, and the, an emphasis on the sensational. And there's absolutely no control over what it is that they are doing. It just, if, it's, if it's a gift, it's a gift, and just do whatever you want. No control. And then uh, also, no limits. You can, you can do anything and say it's a spiritual gift. So that's the, the misusers of the gifts as they are in the Bible. Then there's the refusers. The refusers are those who basically say, stop using the gifts. We're scared of these. These are dangerous. Stop. Also, they deny that there are spiritual gifts completely. Now, I want to say, I believe that some gifts have ceased. I'm not going to lie to you. I think there are some gifts that were temporary in nature and some that are permanent. But... Sometimes people who deny some of the gifts say, stop, don't even worry about the gifts, don't think about the gifts, don't do, use the gifts, and they deny them all. And it becomes over-controlling in some ways. It, just If you're going to even think about using your gifts, they have to be controlled to such an extent that no one has any liberty in the Lord. There's an over-control. And it's completely limited in fact, to the point where sometimes people won't operate in the realm of the gifts. Now, here's what I think. In these two extremes, there's obviously a little truth in each of them, and the best thing to do is to come into the middle and have a balanced view of spiritual gifts. 
And this church has historically always had a very balanced view of spiritual gifts, for which I'm grateful. And that's what I'm going to try and present. Let's talk about a definition of spiritual gifts since we're talking about them. A spiritual gift is God's endowment of a particular enablement. It's supernatural. It's an endowment of a particular enablement given to each and every believer, at least one of them, to empower service for the Lord, to empower service for him. God wants us to use these gifts to serve him. He gives them to us. It's a supernatural. The way I would think of it is uh, it's related to the idea of a talent, okay? You have a talent. When you're born, you're given a talent. You may not know what it is yet. Uh, You know, I, I tried to learn how to play piano. Zero talent. No. I mean, it was... It was awful. But my son, when he was six, year old, six years old, he sat down and he had this teacher and all of a sudden he's playing Billy Joel music. Six years old. In the middle of the night. I'm like, what? Because he had talent. He was born with it, but it took till he was about six years old for it to start coming out. When we are born again, God gives us an enablement. It's a spiritual gift. Some are public gifts. Some are more private, service-oriented gifts. But God gives them to us, generally speaking, I would say, when we're born again. When we come to know the Lord, we may not know what it is, but then as we grow in the faith, they come out. And we get to use them to serve him. So that's what this is about. There are four major passages about the gifts uh, in the New Testament, there's Romans 12, there's 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, 1 Peter 4, 10, 11, and this passage, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. We're just gonna focus on Ephesians 4, 7 through 10 today about God's dispensing of the gifts. And to begin with, in verse seven, this is saying that every individual follower of Jesus, every individual believer has received at least one spiritual gift. I hope that's encouraging to you. You may think, well, everyone else is gifted, but not me. No, every one of us has at least one spiritual gift. This passage says it in verse seven. It says, but grace was given to each one of us. And that's talking about one spiritual gift. I want to make four observations about verse seven. First, God maintains the unity of the body through diversity, not uniformity. God maintains the oneness of the body, the complete whole of the body, the oneness of the body through different gifts, not giving us all the same gift. It's diversity, not uniformity. The contrast, I think, is right here. You see in verse seven, it starts with the word but. That's a contrast. In contrast to the above verse where there's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, you know, that's unity. But in contrast, he gives different gifts to everyone. So verse six is emphasizing our unity. Verse seven is emphasizing the each one of us aspect, the diversity that we have, each having different gifts. Uh, And this is so that we can do the work of service, you'll see in verse uh, 12 later on. Now, uh, I tend to go to Israel. Have you heard of that? Yeah. I I hope you'll think about joining Mike Van Lanningham and me when we go to Israel uh, in about a year and a half and harvest 
uh, trip to Israel. It's gonna be great, you can sign up now. But one of the things I saw in Israel that I think is kind of funny uh, is there's a guy that, that leads tours to Israel and he's kind of well-known, so I won't say his name. But anyway, he, uh, when he sends a group to Israel, brings a group to Israel, he sends out a letter and tells them how to dress. So one night I go to the Western Wall and I see about 50 people. They all have Tilly hats. They all have these hiking shirts that you roll up the sleeve or you can roll it down. They have these hiking pants that you can zip off and turn them into shorts. They all are dressed identically. And I thought, what is this, some cult? The cult of the hikers has come to Jerusalem? I and I asked, and I figured out, oh, they all got the, they all got the memo that, that they were supposed to dress that way. And for 12 days, that's how they dressed in Israel every day, which I think is hysterical. I don't know how, I guess maybe it makes it easy to make sure you've got your group together, you know. Uh, but that's what it would look like if we all had the same gift. We'd all look the same. We'd all act the same. There would only be one ministry in a congregation. But as it is, we all have different gifts and we can actually complement each other. That's what Paul's point is in 1 Corinthians 12. We're not all hands. We're not all feet, right? We need a diversity of gifts to have a full ministry so that we don't look like each other so we can minister in all the ways that are necessary. So that's the first observation. God maintains the unity of the body through diversity. The second thing it says here in verse seven, but grace was given to each one of us. Uh, this is that God not only calls us to serve him, but gives us the divine enablement to do so. God doesn't just say, I want you to be my representatives, my servants, my workers here. I'm gonna help you do that by giving you a spiritual gift. He gives us divine enablement. You see, it says grace was given to each one of us. When we see the word grace, we automatically think means, it means undeserved favor, right? How many have ever heard that definition? Undeserved favor, undeserved kindness. That's the automatic definition. Uh, uh, definition, God's riches at Christ's expense. I'm sure you've heard that, right? That's not what it always means. Okay, the word grace can mean thanks. That's why we say grace over a meal, right? So it doesn't always mean uh, undeserved favor. It can mean thanksgiving. And then it also can mean, and very often in the New Testament, it means enablement empowerment. Uh, my, you know, Paul prays three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed from him. And the divine answer to him is, my grace is sufficient for you. That means my divine enablement is sufficient for you. That's what it means. And so here, that's what it means as well. It says, each one has been given grace it refers to a spiritual gift. In fact, the word that's used in other passages, like in 1 Corinthians 12, or in Romans 12, 6, where it's translated gifts, now concerning gifts, it literally has the word grace in it, charismata, grace gifts. And this is related to that, the idea of divine enablement. So, 
This is saying each one of us has been granted some sort of divine enablement. You know, I, I teach a course in biblical interpretation and I give a lot of work. Uh, it's why students are like, well, I could learn something, but I mean, I might have to work at this and they're a little scared to take me because the reputation has gone out, a lot of work. I give assignments on every genre of scripture where they have to do a worksheet besides all the other work in the course, they're constantly having to work. And one of the things is they have to figure out how to interpret a narrative and how to interpret uh, 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 poetry or, or a wisdom section. And I, here's the thing that I really believe I need to do before I give them the assignment. And students, they wanna do their assignments ahead so they don't have a lot of homework. They just wanna, and I say, no, no, don't do the homework because I need to teach you first I need to give you the tools for you to do that assignment. They don't like that. They just want to do the assignment without the tools. Well, I think as a teacher, I'm responsible to give them the tools before they do the assignment. Well, do you know what God says to us? I've given this universal body, all these individual followers of Jesus, an assignment to serve me in communities. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give them the tools to carry it out first. So that doesn't mean that we should only operate or serve God with our gifts, but it does mean that God will make us far more effective and he has given us the tools so that we can serve him effectively. That's why God has given us each at least one gift so we can have divine enablement to serve him. Here's a third observation. God not only gives the gifts, but he gives them in different measures. See that in verse seven? Grace was given to each one according to the measure of Messiah's gift. Uh, there's a different measure according to the measure of the gift. This explains why different people can have the same gift, but have different levels of effectiveness. So I actually believe that I have three gifts, and one of them is evangelism. Okay, I believe that God has given me a particular ability, spiritual gift, not because it's anything in me, but his gift that I can explain the gospel clearly and bring people to a decision. Also, uh, I am able to teach others, this is the other part of the gift of evangelism, teach others how they can communicate their faith and present the good news to others. That's part of the gift of evangelism. but I'm no Billy Graham. I don't understand the gift that Billy Graham has. I've mentioned this once before. Billy Graham gets up, he preaches a very mediocre message, to be honest. <laughs> He's with the Lord now, he knows. Uh, <laughs> and he does it, a very simple but mediocre message. He does it with an accent that people laugh at. At least Erwin Lutzer does a really great impression of it. <laughs> and then he says, the buses will wait. And what happens? People get up and they move to the front and masses of people come to know the Lord. I came to know the Lord at a Billy Graham movie. And they shot a little clip of him preaching too. I'd never heard of him before. That was like, wow. Anyway. The point of it is, it's a different measure of the gift. He has 
a powerful, had a powerful gift of evangelism. I have a little gift of evangelism. Different measures, different measures. And not only that, even the gifts we have, we have different measures. I do have the gift of evangelism, but it's this. Then I have another gift, I believe it's teaching. It's about that, okay? I think that's my strongest gift. You guys apparently don't have the gift of learning because you haven't figured out what I'm saying. No, no, that's not true. (laughs) No, I think teaching is my gift, my main gift. And then I have the gift of evangelism, and then I have a really little gift of leadership, okay? Those are my three biblical gifts. And you see what I'm saying is there's some gifts that I have in a greater measure, some in a lesser measure, and then just in a tiny measure. And then there's other things I do without a gift just because I'm being obedient uh, to serve God. Uh, Don't have the gift of administration. Not at all. But I still have to serve God in some ways. I still have to... I coordinate a program at Moody. I'm the Jewish studies professor there. I coordinate a major. And so, therefore, I have to do some administrative tasks. Not my gift, but I've got to do it. And, uh, but the point is, he gives us gifts in different measures. What's your gift? Do you know? I hope you do. And do you know if you have several or how much of a measure of that gift you have? Here's the fourth observation. God's gift giver is the Messiah, Jesus himself. Uh, It says here, the measure of Christ's gift. This This means that he is the source of our gifts. Uh, according, you could translate it according to the measure of the gift of Christ or the gift of the Messiah. It is, he is the source of our gifts. Now, I think this is really important to understand. Beware of trying to manipulate God to give you a gift or to say, I have a gift that God didn't give me, okay? He is the source, the Lord Jesus himself. He's the source of our gifts. He gets to determine what gift we have. We can't manipulate him. We can't force him to give us a gift. I learned this really quickly when I was a new follower of Jesus. There was this man that was really pressuring me to get a particular gift. You need this power from God. He said, there's going, this is, I was kind of dumb. I listened to him. He said, there's going to be a great revival in New York City, but you'll only be able to participate if you have this gift. I wanted the gift. And they kept praying for me to get this gift. I wouldn't get it. Didn't happen. And then they said, we're gonna pray through. It was like one of those really long nights. Uh, We were down in Greenwich Village. I was in a basement flat. They're all laying hands on me, praying for me to get a particular gift. They're gonna force God to give me this gift. Nothing. Then all of a sudden, someone says, ah, I know why he's not getting the gift. He's demon-possessed. I'm like, what? They want to start casting demons out of me. We had had a late-night dinner, and uh, they brought a bag over me, and they were thumping me on the back, and I said, what's the bag for? They said, when the demon comes out, you're going to vomit. I thought, I'm going to vomit because this lady here is punching me on the back. That's why I'm going to vomit. I just ate. I was done. 
I was done with that. From now on, I thought, I'm never gonna try and press God to give me any gift. He's given me the gift, I just need to discern what it is. I mean, you can pray, I'm not saying you can't pray for a particular gift, but never, ever, ever, we should never try to force God's hand to give us a particular gift. It's his decision. It's his decision. So here's what I'm saying. Everyone has at least one spiritual gift. Secondly, the Lord Jesus dispenses spiritual gifts as an outgrowth of his victory over Satan, sin, and death. In verse eight, it has a quotation from Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. This quotation depicts, this is from Psalm 68, it depicts a divine king dispensing gifts uh, to to his people. That's the imagery that you get. He ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This is an extremely problematic verse to be quoting here. Why? First of all, it may or may not really be, and it probably isn't, a direct prophecy of the Lord Jesus. It's an application of what happens when a divine king has a victory and then dispenses the gifts. There's also a whole bunch of ways that this quotation differs from the Old Testament text. One scholar, Harold Honer, my old professor, he mentions in his commentary six ways that it differs from the actual verse in the Old Testament. Well, what's the, the point? I think that what we have here is a paraphrase. There's another problem with this verse, uh, is, and it's this. It uses the word, he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. But the problem is, in the original verse in the book of Psalms, Psalm 68, 18, it says he received gifts. And here it says he gave them. So people think Paul changed it just to make it fit his message. I don't think so. I did a word study on that Hebrew word that's translated receive or take in Psalm 68, 18, and it often means to take so you can give. So Paul is just reading it that way. It means to receive gifts so you can give them away. And you see that later on in Psalm 68, it talks about how in that Psalm, he gave to his people. Uh, At the end of the chapter, here, let me turn to that. It says at the end of Psalm 68, that uh, he is the one who gives power and strength to his people. So he receives gifts to give them to us, and that's why Paul just goes goes right to the giving the gifts. Here's what this verse is just saying. Uh, It's saying, just uh, as there is a king in the Old Testament who receives captives and receives gifts and then gives them to his people, so our king has won a great victory. He has taken captive sin, Satan, death itself. He is the victor. He has received everything as victor, all the spoils, and now he shares them with us. That's what this is saying. That's why the Lord Jesus has the authority 
to give us spiritual gifts. He can dispense them because he is the great victor. He is the winner. He is the victorious king. And uh, this then, secondly, this explanation of Psalm 68 declares the significance of the incarnation and ascension of the Messiah Jesus. Look at verse nine. In saying this, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, some say of the earth, this says lower regions of the earth, and that's the best translation. Before his ascension, the Messiah Jesus had to descend to the earth. This is a reference to the incarnation that God the Son became a man. A lot of people want to say that it's a reference to going to hell. But it, when it says he descended to the lower parts, it should be translated even the earth. That's the, it's called the genitive of apposition if you want to know the Greek, but we use it all the time. We, we say, what? I don't know what apposition is. It's okay. You ever talk about the city of Chicago? That's a genitive of apposition. The city, namely the city of Chicago. Here it says he descended to the lower parts, namely the earth. That's the incarnation. That's the idea. Before he could ascend, he had to descend. He had to become a man. God became a man. And then secondly, having descended and died, he was resurrected and now he can ascend far above the heavens. That's what it says here in this verse. In saying uh, this, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens. That means the highest heaven, the, the most exalted place of heaven. That he might fill all things. His ascension marked Jesus' victory over the grave. He took his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. He is in the highest heaven and then he dispenses gifts beginning at Pentecost through the Holy Spirit. And he then will use gifted people here, those who he's given gifts, and look, look what it says, that he might fill all things. To fill all the earth with his message and his power. He's going to fill all things. How is he going to do that? Through the gifted people he's given gifts. In other words, on earth, he has empowered us spiritually with his gifts so that we can accomplish his purposes throughout the world in all things. We are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. He has empowered us to be that way. I once, uh, I'm from New York City, you may have heard. I was uh, serving uh, with a, a Jewish ministry, Chosen People Ministries in New York. I went to my very first staff meeting and uh, it was in Manhattan, and I, we had to wear tie and jacket to our meetings back then. Forget about it, but anyway, I did. And then afterwards, I stopped on the Upper West Side to the famous gourmet shop called Zabar's to buy coffee. And I was just walking around Zabar's, looking around, and every, all their clerks there were ties and jackets. And so some woman comes up to me, and she starts asking me where she can find something. I'm like, oh, I don't work here. Really? You dress so nice. I said, thank you. She says, what do you do? Well, I didn't want to say I am an outreach worker with Chosen People Ministries because I thought that this woman would then get really mad at me. 
So I wanted to break it to her gently. So I said, I'm an ambassador, which is normal in New York. She's got the UN there. There's all sorts of ambassadors. She says, oh, really? Uh, really, you're an ambassador? I said, yes. She said, for whom? Meaning what country? I said, for a king. <laughs> she said, what country? I said, a Middle Eastern country. I am here representing him doing his work. And she said, what work is that? I said, he wants me to tell you all about him. Do you want to hear about him? She said, sure. And I got to tell her about the Lord Jesus. And it was a great conversation. That's what this means about how he gave gifts us to fill all things. We are his representatives. He has gifted us to be his representatives to accomplish everything he wants to accomplish on the earth. Each and every one of us are his ambassadors, his representative right here on earth. And that's how he's going to accomplish it. That's why he gives us spiritual gifts. This little paragraph here, here's what it's saying. Our victorious king has given us all the spiritual enablement we need to serve and glorify him. That's the simple message of this little paragraph. Our king has won. He is the victor and he has the authority to empower us so we can glorify him and do everything he wants. Isn't that encouraging? Doesn't it make you want to serve him? He hasn't left us out there, do what it can. No. He's called us to serve him and said, and by the way, here's the gifting to do it. So, now what? Our victorious king has given us spiritual gifts to serve and glorify him. How do we discover those gifts? How do we do it? I want to make several suggestions for how to uh, discover our gifts. First, study the gifts in several key passages. They are listed in the notes, if you ever look at the notes. They are Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, and Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. You may want to use a book. Here's the problem, I think, about using a book if you're going to study about spiritual gifts. I look up books about spiritual gifts all the time, and they're all bad. They're either about... They're arguing over, do they continue or do they cease? Or do some continue and do some? They're just arguing. They're not really talking about how to deploy the gifts that we have. Uh, I said that to Eva, and I was trying to think about putting a book down. And the only book I know of that I think is really good to help you uh, is out of print, but I'll mention it, uh, Unwrapping the Gifts, uh, Unwrapping Spiritual Gifts by Ken Gangle, G-A-N-G-E-L. It's out of print, but you can find it on Amazon. Uh, I think there's a reprint of it for about four bucks. But it's a nice little book, Unwrapping Spiritual Gifts, Ken Gangle. But mostly the books are bad. I said, oh, wow, maybe I should write a book about spiritual gifts. Someone might read it. Or maybe there's no books about it that are out there because no one wants to read about it. I don't know. So. But uh, study the passages. See if you can identify the gifts uh, through those passages. Secondly... Take a gift inventory or a gift assessment. There actually is a gift assessment that you can use right on the heart. I, I didn't know this till today, believe it or not. Uh, Sherry Smith happily told me. 
that there is a gift assessment right on the Harvest website. Now, I would have taken this gift assessment to see how, what I think of it, but I didn't know about it till this morning. But I'm really glad that there is a gift assessment. They are very helpful. They're not perfect. Gift assessments are not perfect, but they are helpful. Here's what I found. Sometimes, and I, I don't know about this one on Harvest, I suspect this is not the case, but I've seen gift assessments that list gifts that aren't in the Bible. Uh, I, had, uh, I once knew someone that took a gift assessment and he found out that he had the gift of youth work. There is no gift of youth work in the Bible. That's a ministry, but it's not a gift. Uh, so that's a problematic thing. Sometimes, and I think this is mistaken, uh, some gift assessments I've seen have the gift of prophecy being the gift of preaching. That's inaccurate. Uh, so I, I would just caution you, a gift inventory is maybe helpful, but here's the greatest weakness of a gift inventory. We can skew the test. What we can do is we can say, this is the gift I want, so we answer the questions in a way that it will show that that's the gift we have. And there, you know, I heard a guy that said he had the gift of teaching because he took it on a, a, a gift assessment, and yet he taught a Bible study that only one person came to. Everyone was invited, people would come, they'd hear it one time, and then they'd say, no, I'm not going back. I don't think he really had the gift of teaching. But he wanted it, so he skewed the assessment so that it would appear like he has the gift of teaching. So I would just be cautious. Use it, but don't take it as the final word. Third way to find a gift, identify our desires and inclinations. So, for example, if I have a passion to teach God's word, an inclination to do that, and I have to tell you, I became a believer in April, and then by July, I was teaching. I just wanted to do it so badly that anything I learned, I taught to anyone that would listen. And I don't think that just came because I just like being the center of attention or something like that. Rather, I just wanted to teach what I just learned. I had a burden in the biblical prophetic mold of it's bubbling up I've got to I've got to tell I've got to teach so that's how I know I had this inclination some people have a burden or this desire to serve to do things behind the scenes and make them happen that's a, a gift in the bible find your inclination and listen to that now it doesn't mean it's your gift but it might be leading you to your gift uh Fourth, receive guidance and confirmation from a mature believer that knows you well. When I came to faith, there was a man that was discipling me, uh, just, uh, just a wonderful, godly man, uh, Dan, and he heard me communicate my faith, present the good news to someone uh, very early in my walk. And he took me aside and he said, you have the gift of evangelism, but you did it really bad. He says, the only reason that that worked was because you have the spiritual gift. I'm gonna teach you how to do a better job of it. And he did teach me about how to share my faith. 
uh, how to present the gospel, how to be clear. All these different things that are really important. So when you have a gift, you can improve on it. But what it was is here's a mature believer who looked at me as a young man trying to do what God called me to do, and he identified something right away, and he helped me with it. Get counsel from people. We all should have someone who's a mature believer who knows us well that could give us some idea. Now I'm going to give you my key way of finding a spiritual gift. Are you ready? Practice the Eureka Principle. Practice the Eureka Principle. Here's how it works. It starts by serving in, en- in as many ways as possible. You see, because we are called to serve God, not just with our gifts. We should serve in every way possible. Here's what I mean. Every one of us is called to fulfill the Great Commission, not just those with the gift of evangelism, right? We all have to be those. Every one of us uh, is called to give sacrificially to God, yet there are some who have a spiritual gift of giving. They can even do it more so, but we all have to give. There are all kinds of ways we can serve God, and what we need to do is make ourselves available to serve God in as many ways as we can. Volunteer, do what you can. That's the first step. Serve in as many ways as possible, because that's a matter of faithfulness. Then secondly, see those areas in which there's the most effectiveness and joy. It's like in the movie Chariots of Fire, when the guy says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Right? I used to think, when I run, I feel pain. But, but here's the thing. When we are serving in our giftedness, there's an ease of it. There's a joy that comes with it. Like, yes, this is what I was born for. So as we're serving in as many areas as possible, we're going to find those areas where, yes, we have that, that ease and joy that comes with it. And then third, shout Eureka when you find what that gift is. Say, yes, this is what I have a special enablement to do. We had this uh, dear friend when I was leading a congregation in New York, and she was invited to substitute teach for Eva, uh, a class of fourth graders and fifth graders. And uh, she was like, I don't know, I've never taught before. Eva said, well, I'll give you the curriculum, I'll show you what to do. And uh, so she said, okay. And she wasn't doing it because it was her gift. She was doing it because she wanted to be faithful. And the most amazing thing happened. She taught that class of nine and 10-year-olds and she came back and said, this is what I was born to do. This is it. I love this. And uh, she just was so effective as a teacher. Now I've watched her for 30-some years and she can teach any age group, nine and 10-year-olds, 90-year-olds, 30-year-olds. She can teach anyone because she is so gifted by God in this area. That's the Eureka principle. She made herself available for service. She found that area where she said, this was easy. Now, there are some things we have to do that are not easy. We still have to be faithful. But when we find that area, let's make that a focus of our ministry. We celebrate, Eureka, I found it. Well, God has gifted us, enabled us to serve him effectively. Someone once complained to D.L. Moody that he ought not to preach because he fractured the king's English every time he spoke. 
Mr. Moody responded by saying, I'm using all that I have for the Lord. What are you doing? God has gifted us to serve him. It may not be the gift we wanted. It may not be the gift that we think is the best, but it's what God has called us to use to serve him, to serve him in every way we can, but especially in those areas of giftedness. What are we doing with the gifts that he's given us? Are we serving him? I hope so. Father, we, <clears throat> we commit ourselves to you. Some of us know what our gift is and we haven't been using it. Lord, we commit ourselves to using it for you. Some of us don't know what our gifts are and we haven't been serving. Lord, we commit ourselves to serving you faithfully regardless. God, some of us want to know desperately what our gifts are, so we will ask you to reveal it to us. Show us what those gifts are so we can serve you more effectively. God, most of all, we want you to get the glory from our service to you, not us. We want you to be honored. Thank you for our Lord Jesus, who is a victorious king, who shared these gifts with us so that we can honor you by using them. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen.